Weed, Seeds and Dirty Deeds would like to acknowledge the traditional custodians of Australia, in particular the Bunurong people of the Kulin Nation. We would like to pay our respects to Elders past, present and emerging within the community. Additionally, we acknowledge Indigenous custodianship and cultivation of Australia's diverse ecosystems through sustainable management over thousands of generations prior to European invasion. Our community acknowledges the past and ongoing impacts of colonisation on First Australians and their ability to care for country. We believe that it is the duty of non-Indigenous Australians to seek reconciliation and actively participate in uniting all of Australia's peoples and to restore Australia's ecosystems. Weird Seeds and Dirty Deeds recognises that sovereignty was never ceded and that no treaty has been signed. Mostly just going to be riffing anyway. We'll record now anyway, so... Yeah. Well, and we're on. Now we go quiet. <laughs> but we'll much. play that. Yeah, super loud. I see It's going to be like fade away fade Oh sorry, fade away uh, Hello and welcome to the very first um, podcast that we're having here for Weed, Seeds and Dirty Deeds I'm um, Tim And I'm Zach and I haven't changed my voice <laughs> Yeah, And I actually haven't changed my voice either, this is my original voice <laughs> Just rugged I was born with this voice <laughs> Many people have said that I came out of the womb talking and haven't stopped since. Uh, haven't stopped since. Finally, I've got a platform to do it on. <laughs> <laughs> so basically, this is the Weed Seeds and Do Deeds podcast. And we're sort of using this podcast as a way of getting environmental ideas out there, creating awareness. Mm. A lot of us just, I mean, just talk about our own experiences, getting a whole bunch of people that are experts in certain fields and... Chain to them yeah. about it. Well, I am an expert in the field of Tim. Yep. And that's probably about it. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm not an expert, except I ask questions. But you've got that's them written it. down. And you have the soundboard, which is yes, the most Yes, that gives me too part. much power. Um, one person should not wield that power, but I do anyway. Someone's got to run the show. So It's definitely not us, but we are the hosts. So, so basically, like, who are we? We are Tim and Zach. Well, that's us, but yes, Conservationists and Dirty Deeds is talking about environment. Yeah, environmental issues. Yeah, local to Melbourne and I suppose Australia, kind of branching outwards depending on who we get on and who we chat to. Because it's all connected. Yeah. It's all connected. One hand washes the other. Mm-hmm. Creates trickle-down effect. If one thing's messed up, probably chances are things down the line are also going to be messed up. Yeah, and just kind of how it all works together and... All the different aspects of the conservation industry, um, from what we do, which is bush crew work at the moment, um, to kind of upper up management and how people look after land on various different scales of like backyards, local parks and reserves, even to kind of pushing into larger kind of national parks and stuff like that. Fuck, you sound good in a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> a voice for a podcast. So, face for it too. I guess. Why did I personally get into conservation? <coughs> I was a chef for about 10 years mm-hmm. and I found myself towards the back end of my chefing career really starting to ask myself the questions like, is my time being well spent in what I'm doing? And as soon as I started asking myself that question, I started looking around my current workplace and industry and realizing that that 
certain industry is extremely wasteful. Mm. They, I mean, you throw a lot of food away and a lot of the times you're just doing stuff for no other reason besides putting a product out there, which, I mean, at the end of the day, cooking and providing meals for people, it, it's, there's nothing wrong with that. It just wasn't, it just wasn't for me anymore. And yeah, you're talking about like wastefulness of, Worked briefly in your know, hospitality jobs, and you see that how much gets thrown out towards the end. And well, it's definitely something yeah. that even before working in this industry played on my mind as well. Especially in like an a la carte restaurant where you're where you're making things to order from a set menu, you have to make sure that everything on that set menu is prepped up, ready to go, whether or not you sell it or not. And then if you don't sell it, it gets thrown out. Mm. Yeah. So it sort of it sort of opened my eyes up that. Not only am I not really making a difference, I'm sort of more part of the problem than the solution. So yeah, it it made me look at my life, and luckily enough, I was in a stage in my life where I was able to change careers. Not everybody's in that situation. I'm very thankful for for myself being able to leave that and go and do something that I'm passionate about. And socially and recreationally, all I was doing was outside all the time I was going for hikes every single time I finished work I was spending as much time as possible outside and I was like oh shit how can I do this for a career how how can I transition and leave cooking and move into something that I feel like I'm making a difference and I'm passionate about and then it became conservation like how how can I get paid to be out in the bush and yeah well how'd you go about doing that because you obviously in a completely different industry, it's kind of not really a parallel, I would say. In yeah, definitely to conservation. So, what did you do to move? Definitely from what you were doing to not now? really very many transferable skills, except learning how to live, getting paid minimum wage. That that that, that was that was the transferable skill because obviously chefing's not really very paid well, and and neither is conservation because you run on passion. You run yeah, on passion. It's both definitely of those. that. Um, and you know, a lot of the time that's enough. It, it is enough for me. So basically it was, uh, I don't have any of the skills or education, so I need to go and do that. Mm. I need to find somewhere. I was actually living over in Canada at the time and doing the same diploma course in conservation would have been upwards of 30 grand. And here in Australia, it was upwards of 10 grand. So it was an easy decision for me to come back and start studying here at Melbourne's Holmes Glen. Mm. Um, and that was pretty much it. Started studying in 2017. Yeah, and that was the diploma you said, Diploma of Conservation Land Management. I think it yeah. may be. I think it may be renamed now. I believe this. Yeah, going through a few changes at the moment, getting called different things, or they're kind of reevaluating what was being taught before and kind of modernising it a little bit. Uh, it's still a very new industry, so it's going through a lot of changes. Um, but yeah, so you're at Holmes Glen and. Did your diploma there? Were you working during studying, or? Oh, I was. I was. I was lucky enough to be working. Just while doing like volunteer work with the TAFE group, and mm. we were out at a bush site, and we were pulling out potosporum, hand weeding potosporum, and and one of my teachers, Dr. Joe Wilson, <laughs> shout out if you're listening, um, we'll see. <laughs> uh, uh, approached me. And said, hey, like, you're obviously very passionate about this work. I know a guy who pays people to do what you just did for free for six hours. So yeah, here's a number. I called that number and one thing led to another. And I was lucky enough to 
get that opportunity six months into my 18-month diploma. So I was mm. able to pretty much apply my skills within six months and then finish off my diploma, The sorry, the last year of my diploma while I was still working. And I found it very be- beneficial being able to learn about conservation three days a week and then apply that knowledge two days a week, part-time. Yeah. Did you find there's many parallels between what you're doing um, and what you're learning? And, you know... Yeah, it, yeah it's all... Filling it, in the gaps of, of knowledge between what you're finding in industry, what's actually going on, what happens, um, versus what's taught in a classroom. Yeah. It de- definitely helped massively, especially with, like, a lot of um, um, weed weed killing methods and plant ID because it it almost seemed like I was going to school for those three days a week. I was doing the collect and classify subject. I was learning how to ID native plants and weeds. Yeah. And the next day I was going out and working with those weeds that I learned the day before. So it was really good for me as a, as a visual learner learning the process and then immediately be able to apply it the next day. Yeah, yeah. It's almost like developing a skill, the best way to do it is repetition. Yeah. It almost felt like I got that repetition. Yeah. And it definitely fast-tracked me. Mm. To actually be doing out there and not just talking about these things because um, very very similar to Tim, um, the situation and kind of his education background, although my entry into the conservation industry was a little bit different. Um, finished high school, went off to uni to, to study kind of the sciences and engineering. Um, and after a little while, I found out that that whole that, that system wasn't for me and what I wanted to. I kind of wanted to do other things at that stage. Um, so I moved straight from kind of the uni-based system um, into the diploma as well at the, the same TAFE that Tim had studied at. Um, and Shout out to Holmes Glenn. <laughs> and did that course. Um, and, yeah, definitely see that the um, instead of just kind of all theory-based to a degree um, with the diploma course at the time that we were doing it. Um, it's a bit more directed towards management plans um, and a little bit more kind of the uh, the looking at the site or sites um, and kind of running through the processes that may be occurring there and then the best ways to, to implement either yourself or via contractors to do the works. Um, so it's kind of a bit more of a, of a theory-based um, uh, education course. Um, with practical aspects but uh, for myself um, yes also studied uh, and at the same time was finding work um, in the industry um, and got to learn about one thing in the classroom in that context um, taking kind of that 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 um, method of education and then going out into the field and kind of learning that the things that you have studied might not always apply or there's other things to consider um, that are not really discussed in the classroom at kind of that higher level, um, kind of getting down in the dirt um, and actually learning about, you know, how the job's done um, with other limiting factors like budgets and, and kind of um, resources and, and other things you've got access to. So, yeah, I as well found studying and, uh, and working at the same time really beneficial for, for the knowledge that I learnt during that time. Definitely helps. Mm. So what have you um, since done? So you went and did your education and then jumped into the workforce. Uh, what kind of stuff did you find yourself doing um, with that? Uh, well, entry-level position in bush crew. Mm. It's basically just hand-weeding, spraying, yep, dragging branches, putting them in chippers. Yep. Just more utilising... More of a physical skill set, but mm. but that isn't to take away from the ID aspect of our job. 
I think it's yeah one of the, I think it's one of the most important skills that somebody can learn. Yeah, there's um definitely a thought that um, whilst it is uh, at, a, at a bush crew level at least, um, and from our experiences, very labour intensive um, job, you're out there, you're physically doing kind of the work to see in fields results. But the, the, you need to be switched on with kind of what you're doing to make sure that it's the best for the, the localised environment that you're working with. You know, if you're hand-weeding stuff, where are you doing it? Is it causing erosion later on down mm. the track that might hinder kind of the habitat or environment that you're working in? But it's also as well with um, plant identification. It's highly important to make sure that you're reducing off-target as much as possible. Um, and all those other things, like you're constantly thinking um, whilst out and about. Yeah, it's almost like well, yeah, you, you you just summarized a lot of further skills that I developed after sort of the entry level mm. in, into the industry where originally when you first start you understand what you're doing, but then the more you you work at it, you start to mm. understand why you're doing it. Yeah. Like, you know, the process of say there's a uh large amounts of weeds inside a certain area the process of which weeds to take away first. Yeah. What's going to happen when you take this away? Yeah. For, for instance, if you've got a potosporum forest and you've got blackberry right next to it, yeah. and you get rid of the potosporum, the first thing that's going to go in there is the blackberry. So Yeah. But unfortunately, like how do you, how do you manage that? How do you how do you weigh them up? Which one goes first? It's yeah. Experience and, and knowledge. Yeah, 100% because definitely um kind of through education they'll say, you know, here's your weeds, um certain weeds have certain priorities. Yeah. You categorize them, and if you're kind of running a management plan, certain weeds you go after first. Um, and whether or not that gets translated into why that's happening, um, you know, it depends. But it, when it should, it should be. It should, yeah. But when you're out in the field, um, you very quickly learn that the weeds of priority, you obviously go after first, but some are yeah. much better to go after first yes. or make more sense for future works. Um, yeah, for example, the, the pito and blackberry situation you know it's all good to treat pitos but it's not fun to do it whilst crawling through blackberry nope it's definitely not <laughs> especially dead blackberry canes <laughs> yes no they are the, the absolute greatest thing on earth and i'm so glad that we get to walk through them sometimes almost as bad as solia <laughs> we actually just had a work day today where we were hand weeding solia all day and tim wasn't very happy about it <laughs> oh well keeps us busy it, it's exactly exactly right still gonna do it yeah and that's, that's a little bit of it as well. You know, nerving is fun and exciting. Um, definitely there was a little it, bit, I know, for myself, um, idolising the conservation industry and what can be done. Um, unfortunately, uh, prior to everything, uh, the, the ideas of um, it's about catching cute animals and kind mm. of that kind of data acquisition and stuff like that, it's definitely a part of it. Um, but definitely the bulk of uh, the conservation... Oh, yeah. But I see that the bulk of the conservation industry making the big differences are getting on the getting down on the ground and exactly doing right. the work. Um, Whether or not it's easy or not, it almost works as a perfect little segue into into something that I would like to put out there. If you're looking to get into the conservation industry, you should realise that it's as much as a it's as much a physical game as it is a mental game. Hundred like, percent. Yeah. As I was saying before. We were hand weeding solar all day, and I was not having a good day. I, <laughs> I hated every single minute of the seven hours we were out there hand weeding. But as I've learned in this industry, mentally you've got to be strong. Mentally you've got to keep on pushing yourself because although yeah. the work's hard and you and you're you're getting um, 
shards of acacia thorns running down your neck as you pull a soul you're out and, and it sucks it's work that needs to be done so you've got to mentally keep yourself inside the game yeah it's just an everyday occurrence out there it's just <laughs> it's just the way it goes it's just, it's just another weed that needs to be taken care of yeah yeah and so. the adversities that come with that yeah so much of the life of <laughs> a bush crew worker and what we do out there um so i guess from the diploma and after that initial entry into the industry i've gone out and sort of supplemented my diploma with a few more skills gotten my chem cert so i can understand you know how one herbicide reacts with a certain type of plant like Mm. what is the right herbicide what is the right nozzle to use it's just yeah there's so much more to just spraying than just filling your pack up with poison and spraying it on the ground yeah you have to understand what you're spraying why you're spraying it how it's going to affect everything around it yeah 100 percent, and then you know, picked up a few more relevant qualifications. What would you say, um, because this was definitely something that I went through uh, while studying the diploma, um, you know, studying and working part-time, obviously trying to to prioritise what qualifications and skills to obtain first because, you know, all of these cost money. So what do you kind of go after first? So I'd say what do you find is the most valuable qualifications outside of the diploma or certificate if you're studying that um, to be, to obtain before kind of looking for jobs and moving into the industry as a worker? I would say first and foremost, it's the same as every other industry. Get your first aid. Yeah. Because you, a lot of the times you are working in remote areas. Yeah. Whether or not it be a reserve or you're on a way trip where you've hiked in an hour to your uh, work site. Yeah. You want to have as many people around you who are trained in first aid. Because 100%. It's a good life skill anyway as be, well. It, it, exactly. Because inevitably you can have all the health and safety in the world. Mm. Something's going to happen. Yeah. And, and you, you try and some, minimise that and make sure that everything kind of works out as best as it can. So for that reason, for your own safety and for the safety of your teammates. First aid. First aid. Yeah. What's next on your list? First aid. After that, I would say probably chem cert. Mm-hmm. Just purely because... A large, in my experience, probably about 60% of my conservation work has been spray work. Yeah, yeah. And you need to have that relevant qualification. Not just not just to actually do the job, but yeah. to know, as I said before, why you're doing it. Why you're doing it and how to, how to go about doing it yeah, the best way you can. Exactly. Yeah. Do you have a third or kind of just those? I do, I do have a third. I actually went and got my felling ticket to mm. take care of weeds that are that are unsprayable. Yeah, too big. <laughs> <laughs> too too big to spray. And I found that to be very advantageous because there is a lot of chainsaw work yeah. involved in conservation, whether or not it is just clearing tracks to get through the site that you need to get to yeah. or just chainsawing for cutting and painting purposes. Yeah, 100%. And, you know, that definitely leads into my original comment before about health and safety where if you're in a chainsaw, you want to be educated. Yes. Because... If you don't know what you're doing on a chainsaw, not only are you a danger to yourself, you're a danger to everybody around you. Yeah, yeah, and it's all that kind of minimising that that risk while you know you're out and about working. Um, I'd say my list is very similar. I'd say first aid, getting your A cup, yeah, um, or your chem cert certificate, and then you can get your A cup from that. Yeah, um, and then possibly your white card, depending on where you want to go. Yeah, you know what kind of sites you're going to start moving into. Well, a lot of sites won't even let you on there without a white card. Yeah, yeah. Obviously, the, what we're talking about is. Um, you know, the, the kind of conservation that we're familiar with is very diverse. Um, 
funnily enough, Tim and I have worked together for a long time. Um, Too long, some of us would say. Yes, but. I would agree. <laughs> um, so we've done a variety of work. And then we decide from, to start a podcast together. Yeah. <laughs> there is other people you get to listen to, so it won't just be yeah. us. Yes, um, we'll be privileged to listen to more people than just us. Yeah. <laughs> um, so we've done a range of stuff, ranging from private landholders, uh, done from kind of local councils, um, done a lot of remote work, kind of pushing up into the Alpine regions, um, East Gippsland, so that's quite remote stuff. Yep. Um, so whilst we've done kind of a, a wide spread of different jobs, going after different weeds in different scenarios and situations, it's kind of where our experience comes from. Um, might not be super specialised in particular sites or whatnot, but I would say, unless I'm speaking for the both of us, that pretty generalist in what we can do yeah. and understanding kind of the different habitats of all different areas. A nice range of skill sets. Yeah. So really the podcast will be about us exploring kind of the, the conservation industry um, along with a few other people um, that are all passionate individuals as well um, and kind of exploring stuff that's coming up in our own experience to kind of help and educate um, others that are new to the industry, looking to get into the industry or maybe even experience and kind of just want to learn a little bit more um, or want to diversify their own knowledge through hearing others share their experiences and what they've kind of done and achieved. Um, and yeah, just continue to, to educate is hopefully our main thing through practical experience with yep. um, experts and passionate people. Yep. That's a large part of it as well. As well. When we say experts, we mean people other than us. Yeah, is, is like actual mean. experts. Yes, actual, actual <laughs> people who know what they're doing and not just shit talkers. Yeah, pretty much. Um, so yeah, I think we might leave it there and catch us all next time. Bye. Cue outro music. <laughs> Thank you.